Welcome to the Mission City Church Podcast. My name is Jake Eichert, and I am the Community Groups and Creative Director at Mission City Church, as well as the host of this podcast. Each week, you can find full-length sermons, five-minute sermon breakdowns, and inspiring conversations with guests about discipleship, current events, local outreach, and more. Our mission as a church is to make Jesus known, and we pray that this podcast does just that for you. If it does, please subscribe and share. But for now, please enjoy this episode of the Mission City Church Podcast. Good morning. I got to be honest, as uh, the person who leads our community groups, I actually love seeing everyone mingle and share in community, so it's a little bit difficult for me to get you all settled down. I can just, just stand up here and watch it take place. It's, it's fun for me. So, um, But uh, we do have a message to share, and I think it's important, and I'm excited to share kind of what God's been putting on my heart with you all this morning. Uh, so uh, if you know me well-ish, uh, probably don't have to know me too well, but if you know me, you know that I am a huge fan of the TV show The Office. Love The Office. Uh, it's a great show. Um, I think it was ahead of its time. It's actually like somehow more popular now than when it was actually airing. But uh, actually, just before service, I just Tyler and I were just going back and forth with quotes. Like it's just that's always present for me. But um, I, the reason why I bring that up is because TV shows have this. TV shows, movies, whatever media has this weird way of kind of uh, drawing us in and making us long for something, even if it's like not something that necessarily you would typically long for. So, for example, The Office is, the whole premise is it's like the most boring environment that you could possibly imagine. Like a paper company. It's not even like they make paper. They're just a middleman that sells paper that's already made to companies. And the whole idea is that the people working there are so bored with their jobs that they have to create these relationships and community around each other that actually make life interesting because at one point in the episode, they joke about dying of boredom in their, at their jobs, right? And so, but like, you watch it, and you want to be there. You want to be a part of this paper company. You want to work there. You want to meet these people. You want to, like, be there. And it's like, how can they possibly make this boring cubicle job seem like something you want to be a part of? There's another show that has a similar flair to it. Uh, maybe you would, rec- maybe you're kind of more into this one. This seems to be a competing one. But Friends, any any Friends fa- fans out there? Yeah, yeah. Okay, great. So Friends is a great show as well. Friends is another show that makes you feel something, right? Like you you feel like you want to be a part of that. Even just that theme song sucks you in. Like ten seconds in, you know, it's, it's no one told you life was gonna be this way. Yes, I knew. I was banking on somebody giving that. That's awesome. Okay, yeah, exactly. Uh, you feel that, and you go, like, it just starts to bring you back to a time that you were with your friends, or you uh, picture that. Like, uh, like, you want to be in this New York high-rise apartment with your five closest friends, right? And, and maybe you wanted that before the show, but as someone who grew up in a very small farm town in the Midwest, like, there is nothing that could make me want to live in a high-rise in New York, I'm telling you. But that show, it sucked me in. It wanted me, it, it made me want to be a part of that. And, like, I think there's more to it than just, like, the experience or the place or whatever. Like, for me, I think that it's, it's the relationships. It's the community that they build amongst the people, the characters in the show that sucks you and makes you long for that. Now, the irony is, a lot of times, as we're watching the screen and seeing this happen, we're actually you know, like avoiding the thing that we're longing for as we're experiencing it, right? Like we are kind of tuned out to relationships or people around us or friendships or anything like that as we watch the friendships and relationships take place in front of us. 
And like sometimes that's just easier. It's just easier to experience them through a screen than it is to actually have to experiencing them, experience them physically. And, I, and unfortunately, it seems like, to me at least, that when I watch those shows, I kind of have this question or this fear, this just wondering, like, why doesn't it seem like friendships or relationships in my life are as easy as the ones that I see on TV? It seems like it's easy for them to make friends, or maybe they're just in an environment where it's easier, they have close friends, and I, like, I don't know about you, but, like, think about friends specifically, you want to, I, I'm married, I have a kid, right, but, like, if I was single, that's the life, like, that's the dream, right? You got your five closest friends right there, uh, and, and they, they, like, sometimes I watch that, I'm like, that, that sounds kind of, that looks kind of good, like, um, but, Again, they, they have that, and it doesn't seem like it's as easy for us today to experience kind of what we experience in those TV shows. And in fact, some people, uh, some scientists or people that study these kind of things are actually referring to the last few years as a friendship recession. It's a, it's a term that's being coined over the last few years. Uh, it's just showing that we in America are experiencing a recession, it seems like, at least in friendship and community. A couple of statistics that I found that kind of back this up. Um, so... If you look at two studies, one from 1990 and one from uh, 2021, you'll see that men today are five times more likely to have no close friends than they were 30 years ago. They're five times more likely. I think it was 3% would say that 30 years ago. It's 15% would say today that they have no close friends. 45% of men in 1990 said that they would turn to a close friend in a time of crisis. Today, that number is 22%. For women, uh, we saw in the pandemic, we saw a major shift in friendship. Over half of women surveyed in an American Perspective survey said that they lost touch with at least a few friends since the start of the pandemic. And uh, a lot of times researchers will accredit this to women oftentimes need more kind of a physical contact or face-to-face -face interactions to maintain friendships than men do. But we're in the midst of what seems like a difficult time for friendships in our communities. One of the hardest parts, I think, at least from my perspective, is just admitting that you need a friend. Maybe thinking that out loud or saying that to yourself even feels a little painful or, or sad to you. Like, it's difficult to say, yeah, I need, I need a friend. I need somebody in my life. I need community. And yet, uh, we all do. We all do. We have to have this. It's not just uh, that we need this from a, a biological standpoint or something like that. Uh, it's okay to feel this way. It's okay. We all need friends. We need community. We were, in fact, made for it. God said that it was not good for man to be alone. He saw this creation that he made to have community, to have relationship. He saw it was not good for them, him to be alone, so he created a partner, a, a helper uh, for him. Not only that, but when we uh, look forward just a few chapters later, a few pages later in your scripture, you'll see there's this uh, really sad story of two brothers, Cain and Abel. And when Cain kills Abel, what happens? God says that you are going to be exiled. This is your punishment. I'm sending you away. And what is his response? He says, my punishment is more than I can bear. If you send me out, I will be an exile, a wanderer. Someone will find me and kill me. Essentially, on his own, he knew he would die. He was separated, uh, not just from his relationship with God, but with his community, and he would be exiled. And, you know, the irony of that is that he, he kills his brother, and that's kind of the response, but he sees that this, this punishment, this uh, consequence of his action is too much. It's more than he could bear. 
Now, Cain was afraid that someone would physically harm him. His external body would die. And we don't really have those similar concerns as much today. I mean, there's still crime and uh, definitely like homicide, things like that happen. But for the most part, we aren't as concerned when it comes to being isolated with someone physically killing us, but more so what's happening internally, that we are internally dying from being isolated and alone. There are more people in our world today than ever before, and yet as a society, we are more alone than ever before. We know that we need community. We know that that's a part of the human existence that we need. But how do we get it, and what's it supposed to look like? That's what we want to talk about today. Why does the church exist? Why does community inside of the church exist? Why do we have community groups that meet together to share in this community? Now, uh, I know that this intro was a bit heavy, and so uh, I thought to lighten the mood a little bit, I I made all of my points rhyme this week, uh, which is partly for me and partly for you, partly for me that I enjoyed doing that, and partly for you that it's a little bit of a device to help you maybe remember them a little bit better as well. And so uh, just so you know, that's that's where we're headed today. So if you start to get annoyed by some of the cheesiness, I warned you ahead of time. That's all I can do for you. Okay. Now... I want to start just kind of give a broad overview of what we're going to look at from a biblical standpoint today. I believe that part of the challenge that we have for community in our day and age is that we see things differently or that culture has changed the viewpoint of what community is supposed to look like or how we interact with each other. I'll put it this way for, the, for our fans of rhyming. Culture is changing the rules for engaging. Culture is changing the rules for engaging. We have a a story that I'll share with you and see how this happens scripturally, and it's also kind of the beginning of our uh, chart today that kind of compares what it looks like for biblical community rules and values versus modern values for community. In this first story, we'll see the beginning of it comes in Leviticus chapter 19, verses 9 and 10. It says this, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edges, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest, and you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. Now in Leviticus, what's happening here is that God's setting up a pattern. He's setting up a a way of life for his people as they have left the uh, captivity in Egypt and they're establishing their own community. And these are the, the laws that God has given them and said, when you have built this field in front of you, don't get every possible piece of grain you can out of it or every possible grape that's on the vine. He's saying, leave some. Don't go to the extra effort of getting every ounce out of it. Leave some for someone who is wandering, who's someone who is hungry, who's walking by. Care about your fellow man. Care about your neighbor. Don't feel like you have to get every ounce of benefit or value out of your crop. Now, I was having a hard time coming up with a modern example of this because I think this is so foreign to us, this idea that we would maybe leave, intentionally leave something for someone else as opposed to getting as much as we possibly can out of it. Like, it, I, this is the two things that came to mind, and I don't even know if these are great examples, but they, they're the closest thing that I could come up with. Like, if you had a spare bedroom in your house, and you just had, like, a, an open sign on the door that was, like, for someone traveling, for somebody who needed a place to stay for the night, couldn't afford a hotel or something like that, like, that room in your house is just available for a traveler to stay in. Anybody feel uneasy already about that? Yeah, right? Uh, How about this? That you, as you're making dinner, 
Not just that you would give away your leftovers, but that you would intentionally make extra food to give outside, to leave outside for someone. Like, because that's not, like, this isn't God saying, hey, you know, harvest everything, use it, and then whatever's left over, give it away. He's saying, no, like, intentionally don't harvest this part of it. No, when you're planting that there's going to be a part of it that you're not going to personally benefit from. So you would have to intentionally make more than you would actually need or use. See how this feels so foreign to, like, what, who would do this? And yet that's the, the value, the community value that God is establishing. God establishes a community value to save part of our resources specifically for those in need. Now as we fast forward into Matthew chapter 12, we'll pick up a story with Jesus and his disciples and we'll see how the, the rules of community have changed even from the time in Leviticus to the time happening in Matthew. It says this, at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain to, and to eat. What's happening here? The grain that's been left on the edges for the wanderer, for the sojourner, back in Leviticus, Jesus and his disciples are, are picking it and eating it. The community value has been established. That's what it's for. But who comes along? The Pharisees come along, and when they see them doing this, they say, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. It doesn't matter that you're a wanderer. It doesn't matter that God actually designed this whole communal practice in place for this exact moment when someone who is wandering through and hungry has an opportunity to eat this leftover, this extra grain that's out there. No, we have an extra community practice that we don't do anything on the Sabbath. Now, we know that the Sabbath was incredibly important and that they were not supposed to do work, but is eating actually not allowed? Really? Like, that, that's something we all need, right? Like, what they would say is that they were harvesting, they were working to get the grain, but really, it's, they're missing the point, they're missing the intent. They've changed the rules of engagement, they've changed the communal values to focus more on this other practice than what God initially intended for. And so as we look at these two ideas, this is what I want, this is what I believe that the, the shift in communal rules between the biblical community value and our modern community value is. Then the biblical value, it was to save part of your resources specifically to share with those in need. But in our modern values, we gather as many resources as we possibly can for ourselves. I'll give you an example of something that I see happening in uh, the culture around us. So uh, I don't know about you, but I can't go a day, it doesn't feel like, without seeing someone on my Instagram or Twitter or something telling me, I X now, uh, but telling me, you need to start buying extra property so that you can rent it out and make money on the side. Anybody have that pop up on their timeline all the time? Is it just, I'm just targeted. I'm, okay, got it. Perfect. I don't know why I'm targeted. I don't have enough money to buy another house and rent it out to people. Like that, I'm a terrible person for you to try to market yourself to. I'm not, take, I'm not taking your free course. That, it's just, that's not happening. But here's the problem that I see taking place in that, is that a lot of people are, are doing that. A lot of people are buying these houses. It's part of the reason why our housing market is the way that it is right now, is that people are buying houses that they don't actually need for themselves just so that they can rent them out and make a few extra dollars. But what that does for the person who actually needs to buy a house is it shrinks the market, drives values up, it creates a, 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 pro a problem for people that are actually needing to buy a house for themselves. 
And so what, what's happening is we see this communal value at place where, no, I need to do everything I can to gather as much resource to benefit as much as I possibly can for myself, even at the detriment, even at the risk of someone else who might need that. We have to gather as much for ourselves. Now, uh, the next communal value or challenge that we see, the split that we see, uh, and again, it's going to keep rhyming. It's just going to keep happening. Uh, serve your neighbor with love and labor. Serve your neighbor with love and labor. I promise you're not going to forget these. You're just going to keep laughing about them on your way home. Now, the story that we see take place here comes from John chapter 2, and you're probably familiar with the story of Jesus turning water into wine. It says in John chapter 2, on the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples, and when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does that have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. But his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, there's a lot of different angles of this story. You've probably heard it preach different uh, reasons or different things that they could be highlighted from this. But I want to point out one specific thing that, at least for myself, I typically run past, and that's this. Jesus saying, my hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. The reason why I point this out, because it's easy for us to go, okay, Jake, you say, you know, serve your neighbor, um, great. Jesus is, you know, able to perform miracles, not a big deal, I can't do that. How is this relatable? Here's what's relatable about it, is that we sometimes run past this idea that Jesus says, my hour has not yet come, because this is actually going to cost Jesus something. See, at this point, nobody really recognizes who Jesus is. There's not like a, a public knowledge that he's doing these uh, miracles or this, these things that might draw attention to him. He could just continue to live on. He, his hour has not yet come. He's not ready to announce his public ministry to the world, and yet the moment arises where he needs to take a risk in order to help this wedding out, to keep a friend of a friend from being embarrassed. Have you ever been to a party that ran out of food or drink? It's not fun, right? It's not great. The host feels embarrassed. You are hungry or thirsty. And I don't know about you, but I personally don't ever really think about just like going out on my own to go get more, like to just step up and go, you know what, it's fine, I'll go buy it for you, whatever. Maybe you have, you're a good person, I get that. I, that's never crossed my mind. It's different, it's a different value that we have. Jesus takes on the risk of performing this miracle and he saves the party. But who wants to leave the party to make up for a, a host's poor planning, Right? Now, see, this biblical value, again, that we see here, is to love your neighbor as yourself. That's how Jesus would later say it, to love your neighbor as yourself. But as in, in our current value system, what we often see is love your neighbor as long as it doesn't cost you. See, to leave the party, to buy more supplies, it's going to cost you something. The host just should have planned better. Let's be honest, right? Like, it's fine. I'm not leaving. Game's on or we're having fun, whatever, it's fine. I'm not going to actually cost myself time money, discomfort. Like, it's easy to do some things that don't really cost us. It's easy to, um, it's easy to love our neighbors in ways that doesn't cost. Maybe we're, uh, there's no example that's coming to my mind. But there are ways that we can easily do this that don't really cost. Maybe you're just, maybe you have extra time. Maybe you're just like, hey, I wasn't doing anything. I was walking by, so I just stopped by. There's nothing wrong with that. But it, may, it doesn't really cost you something. This is our value, typically, of what we see uh, of how we love our neighbor. So 
the biblical value is to love our neighbor as ourselves. How would we want to be treated in these moments as opposed to loving our neighbor as long as it doesn't really cost us anything? All right, the third one here, uh, the church is no archipelago. The church is no archipelago. If you're not familiar with an, what an archipelago is, don't worry, I have a picture for you because I wasn't familiar with it either before I started this. It's a group of islands. It's a chain of islands or a group of uh, land masses. And I want you to notice something about this, this picture and what this archipelago is. Notice all these little islands. They're, they're close to each other, right? They're close. Uh, they can, you can stand on one and see the other island or whatever. But none of them are actually connected. And my fear is, and my concern, sometimes in our community, is this is how we feel. We are an island that can see many other islands. We're not actually connected to them. And the church can't be this way. The church is not an archipelago. We are a body together. We are connected, or we need to be connected. If we are experiencing church like we are a group of islands next to each other but not connected, we're doing it wrong. We're doing it wrong. Jesus points this out in a story in Matthew chapter 26. And I'll say this. Um, it says, when Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, this is just before Jesus is going to be betrayed, he's going to be taken into captivity. He says to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he takes Peter and two sons of Zebedee, James and John, he begins to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. I want to focus on that last sentence there. My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Now, uh, this is a, an interesting revelation, I believe, at least from Jesus' point of view. You think about who Jesus is to his followers. He is the savior of the world. He's the leader of the group. He is the one everyone's counting on. And yet, he is willing to share that he is very sorrowful, even up to the point of death. I need you to stay here and be with me. I am struggling right now. Would you be with me? Would you spend time with me? Would you watch with me? Jesus is willing to be vulnerable with his closest disciples, even though he is the one that they all look to to be strong. He's the head of the household. He's the leader, right? And I wonder, do we have friends like this? Do we have friends that no matter what we reveal to them, we know that they will meet us with love, friends who model Jesus and his forgiveness and grace, even when we have hurt them or sinned against them or sinned against someone else, and we share that with them. Friends that we can ask to meet our needs in troubled times. This is a biblical value, to be honest about what we need from others, to be honest about what we need from others. Now, the modern value, I believe, that contrasts this is that we don't share something that can be used against us. We don't share something that can be used against us. Now, the interesting thing about this moment that Jesus is experiencing, even though he's vulnerable and shares this difficult season of life with his closest followers, what do they do? They fall asleep. He asks them, I'm sorrowful, I'm hurting, I'm struggling. Be with me, pray with me, watch with me. And they fall asleep. And our modern value, I would say, would be to... Walk away from that relationship. You were vulnerable. You shared a time that you were struggling. You opened up, and you were hurt. You were let down. You can't depend on them anymore. And so what we see from Jesus, though, is not that he, gives, he doesn't give up on the friendship. And I'll foreshadow a little bit of our closing here, but in these relationships, what we see is we get to experience Jesus in each other. We get to experience the gospel in each other. 
that in times of struggle, in times of challenge, whether we come through or not, we're, we're a community of broken, sinful people that we get to share love and hope with. And when we let each other down, when we sin against each other, there's forgiveness and mercy and grace and love still. But our modern value would say that we shouldn't share something vulnerable or shouldn't, we should cut those friendships off. That uh, in, If this was going to damage my reputation, if this was going to make others think less of me, if there was a potential loss of relationship or status or something like that, I'm not going there with my life, with this conversation. It's our modern value. And so when we see these put up against each other, we begin to see this picture showing of what the modern community values versus biblical community values, and there's a disconnect. Our final one here is this. It's, it's that low-commitment friendships are like Oreos and chips. And I know you're on your edge of your seat waiting for me to tell you what this means. You see, the early church was committed to very, four very important things that we today in our church at Mission City, at least we want to be still very committed to today. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, we see this. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. Now, we would say these slightly differently, that we, uh, when it comes to committing to the apostles' teaching, that we are committed to growing together spiritually. When it comes to the breaking of bread, we are committed to sharing meals together. At every one of our community groups, you'll share a meal, you'll experience a meal together. We are committed to the fellowship. We're committed to having deep relationships with each other. And we're committed to praying for each other. We want to be connected as a body to uh, the larger point of the church. Whether we're praying for uh, the future of the church, we're praying for each other, we're praying for what God is doing, whatever it may be, we want to be connected together. We're an experienced connection. The biblical value that's attached to this is that we would commit to communal living. We would commit to communal living. Now, that doesn't mean living in a commune. I want to be very clear about that. It's a different thing. But that we would live, we would commit to living communally with each other. Now, the other side of this, our modern value, and at least in my perspective, would be that we avoid commitments and we're, we are self-sufficient. Avoid commitments and be self-sufficient. I debated on like really going into this, but I'm just going to do it. Uh, so I apologize. I don't mean to hurt anybody's feelings. This is just uh, my experience. I want to talk about this for a minute. We have a tendency, uh, I'll use myself for an example. I have a tendency, we have a tendency as a community to be uh, low-commitment people, non-committal friendships, non-committal uh, to each other. And what this looks like, when, we see, when, I, talk, when I mention low-commitment friendship, when I say it's like Oreos and chips, this is what I mean. Low-commitment friendships look like this. They're, they're easy to bail on. They don't share real struggles with each other. Uh, most of their conversations revolve around superficial topics or gossip, and they only see each other when it's convenient. That's what a low-commitment friendship looks like, and there's nothing wrong with this. I want to be very clear about that. It's not wrong to have those friendships. Uh, chips and Oreos are very tasty, and they're great, and they're good for parties, right? Like these low-commitment friendships. Great to be around, they're fun, good for parties. Yeah, it's a good time. It's not wrong to have them or to enjoy them. It just can't be our entire diet of friendship. If we were to only ever have Oreos and chips, something internally would be going wrong, right? There's issue with that. See, in committed friendships, we find something different. In a high commitment friendship, we hold each other accountable. We're comfortable sharing and praying for each other's struggles. We're comfortable sharing, showing up even when it's inconvenient. 
And our conversations include like stories from childhood, areas of growth, relational difficulties, mental health challenges that we're facing, things that are of deeper, more value, but things that we're not willing to go and share with just anyone. These are high-commitment friendships. And again, not everyone needs to be a high-commitment friend. That's not the goal. We need Oreos and chips occasionally, right? There needs to be fun. There needs to be just kind of that lighthearted, we can get together and just have fun kind of relationship, but we need to have a balanced diet of friendships that we have, these high-commitment friendships where I know that I can experience the gospel with you, that I can share every part of me, and I'm going to receive love and grace and mercy back. According to a study in the Journal of Social and Personal Relationships, it takes an average of 50 hours together to consider someone a casual friend and 90 hours before you regard them as a good friend. So this does take time. It takes a commitment to getting to know someone. But again, you can't only have low-commitment friendships and experience the biblical community God desires for us. So I want to throw up the last uh, grid there just so we can see the full picture here. So the biblical, value, the biblical values for community that we've seen this morning, that we save part of our resources specifically for those in need, that we love our neighbor as ourselves, that we are honest about what we need from others, and that we commit to communal living. Now, in our modern values, this looks more like gathering resources for ourselves, loving our neighbor if it doesn't cost us, sharing something, don't sharing, not sharing something that could be used against us and avoiding commitments and being self-sufficient. Now, before we move on, I just want to quickly ask, does anybody feel like I'm super off on any of this? Has this been your experience as well? Maybe not all of it, but part of it at least? As we close this morning, I want to invite the band up because I, I just think that this is incredibly important that we understand the value of community amongst ourselves as followers of Jesus. Uh, I was having a conversation with someone uh, earlier this week. I'm a verbal processor, so I like to kind of share my ideas and just see the reaction that I get from different people and see what they think about it. So I'm sharing kind of where I'm going with this message, the ideas that I have around it. And the response that I got back was, uh, it sounds good, doesn't seem super spiritual, just very practical which is probably true. There's probably some truth to the very practical part of that. It is practical. Um, we wanted to get into some practical ways that we can have biblical community or actually share values of biblical community. But here's my pushback to that, that if you think that community isn't spiritual, you don't understand the value and importance of community inside of the church. In community, we experience the gospel lived out. In community, we experienced the gospel lived out. We've talked about, Russell mentioned that our church-wide reading plan. We went through a whole series of connecting with God, that we want to be in the presence of God. And why? Because we want to be transformed. We want to look like Jesus. We want to walk like Jesus, talk like Jesus, you know, the whole thing, right? Where do we experience that actually lived out? In community with one another, in relationship. When we see someone that's willing to share their struggle and their challenge with us, we get to experience what it looks like to show forgiveness and mercy and love. And when we are in that position where we need to receive forgiveness and mercy and love, we need that community around us that's going to show us those things, that's going to exemplify what Jesus does on the cross, what he, how he sees us now and how he treats us. I, I was thinking about this before I walked up here, this isn't in my notes, but like, it's really, really difficult, maybe even impossible, to separate how we are in some relationships versus how we are in other relationships, or to think about how we treat people or how we act, how we receive relationships. Here's what I mean by that. For you to say, uh, you know, in most of my relationships, I, um, 
I feel like I, when I screw up, someone wants to walk away from that relationship or they don't want to be my friend anymore. And then to go and be like, but when I relate to Jesus, I feel like he always forgives me and loves me and always you know, is with me. It's really difficult for us to have this stance in some relationships or our person-to-person relationships and have a different stance when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. More likely, what you see is that the, the things that are kind of the core values of how you relate to people is there's an underlying tone in how you think God relates to you as well. If you in relationships feel that uh, you know, it's difficult to forgive, you might see God as having a difficulty forgiving you. I'm not saying that's true for everyone, but in general, the way that we view relationships has an impact on how we view God. That's a relationship too, and the core values that we kind of have underlying all of our relationships extend to our relationship with God as well. Now, the reason why that this also impacts, we see this played out in the scriptures, is this. So Adam and Eve, we go back to the very beginning Two things that they were described as, or two of the things that they were described as in the garden, naked and unashamed. And that doesn't just mean a physical nakedness. The goal of Mission City Community Groups is not, you get it, okay. Um, It's the idea that we would be completely revealed to one another and yet still loved. That when we are revealed, that we expose ourselves that we are still unashamed because we receive love and acceptance and grace anyway. In other words, that we are fully known and fully loved. And yet when they sinned, they lost both of these. What's the first thing that happens? They run, they hide, they cover themselves, and they hide from God's presence. And so they have now, instead of being naked and unashamed, they are hidden and in shame. And this is all too often our common human existence today as well, that we are still trying to hide and that we still feel this shame. But in biblical community, we experience the gospel lived out. We get a taste of going back into the garden, that we can be fully known and fully loved again. As we wrap up, I know there's some things stopping. I know know there's some hurdles to to getting to this place. So I just want to address those real quick. Time. Anybody struggle with, you know, making time for things? Yeah? This is incredibly important, that we have time. Those relationships that I mentioned in the beginning, that when we watch TV or whatever, we relate to people through a screen, that's just easy. It's on demand. It's ready for us. It's there. But we, like, if you took a, an entire, you know, just broke down what your schedule looks like, I guarantee you there's something less important than experiencing the gospel lived out in the person in front of you in your life. It's time that we make a priority to make, to spend time in communal living, be committed to each other. There's fear. It's fear. We're going to get hurt. It's part of the experience. That's okay. You are probably going to get hurt in this committed relationship. You are probably going to get hurt in a committed communal living environment in this community. It's part of experiencing the gospel. It's part of experiencing the love of Jesus uh, that's available to you. If we were to never be annoyed by each other, never hurt each other, never experience anything negative to happen inside of our communities, One, that would just be robotic and kind of weird, but we would also not experience the fullness of the gospel. Like there's opportunity inside of that hurt and challenge and annoyance and difficulty to actually have a greater relationship than something that we just cut off because it's not ideal. Because God sees us and knows that we're not ideal and yet still chooses us. 
and still loves us and cares about us. And so even though we're afraid that these things are going to happen, that's part of the experience. It's part of experiencing the gospel. Also, I would be more afraid of being isolated and alone. We talked about that story in the beginning from Cain being sent out in exile. This punishment is more than I can bear. The punishment is more than you can bear. You need community. Opportunity. We have five community groups that meet on Sundays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. Join one. That's my entire point there. Um, if you need more information, let me know. Energy and capacity. This is a huge one, I think. Um, and I promise we're getting to the end here. How much relational energy and capacity... This is a tough question. I want you to be honest with yourself. How much relational energy and capacity are you spending on relationships that give you nothing? Evolutionary psychologist Robert Dunbar found that the number of friendships we can maintain uh, may be related to the size of our brain's neocortex, and online friends take up space that we won't have available for new friends uh, in person around us. Now, that's not to say that we shouldn't ever have online friends, not trying to tell you not to text or, you know, friendship on Facebook, whatever. That's not what I'm saying. But but my point is that sometimes we don't realize that that connection that we're experiencing through social media or text or whatever is taking up like relational space in our brains, in our capacity, and it's a limited capacity. And so what we're getting is kind of more and more of those low commitment friendships that we don't really know each other. We just kind of experience each other and it's taking up more and more capacity to where we don't have the capacity for in-person friendships. We don't have the relational energy for in-person, deeper, high commitment friendships. And eventually, it does get easier. I do believe that it takes less energy and capacity as you get to know someone. Uh, the less secrets and insecurities that you have, the less energy it takes to be around people. Uh, you don't have to think and process through every thought to make sure that you don't sound dumb or mean or arrogant or sensitive or wrong. You can just be yourself. You're just present. And the final one is, I know it's, it's hard. It is hard. It's hard to have community. It really is. I know this, you know, obviously we've kind of made the point this morning that this is important, we need this, all that. It is hard. But it's too hard to go the other way. It's too hard to live isolated. It's too hard to live alone. It's too hard to not be in community. It's hard to get started, but it's much harder to never be in, in the game, to never actually experience community with each other. So um, I want to pray for us. And we'll talk about just quickly how we will respond this morning. I know we went long, so I appreciate you being with me here. God, we love you. Thank you for uh, the opportunity that we have to experience community, to experience your love and grace in the midst of a broken and difficult world. And I pray just today that uh, for this room, God, that we would experience community here together. It's not going to be perfect. And I pray that we would experience the gospel lived out in each other. God, that there would be moments where even if we hurt each other, even if there's challenges, even if there's difficulties, we annoy each other, that we would come to each other, that we would grow closer because of it, that we would experience love and grace and mercy and forgiveness between each other so that we would know that this is actually what can happen in relationships. Good things can come of this, that when I experience that, I actually get to strengthen my belief in the gospel, in the good news that Jesus can actually look at me that way. If my present human examples can look at me that way, then surely I can start to believe that maybe Jesus actually sees me that way also. I pray that that would be true for us in this room. And we love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Mission City Church podcast. Mission City Church is a non-denominational church in Mission, Kansas. We meet on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Merriam Community Center off Slater Street between Johnson Drive and Shawnee Mission Parkway. We also have five community groups that meet throughout the KC Metro. If you live in the Kansas City area and would like more information, please visit our website at missioncitykc.com or send me an email at jake at missioncitykc.com.